anomalous activity at Jedburgh Jail, ghosts and giants of the Dermot Walk, the Burning Man of Ebchester, and an interview with the Ghost Whisperer. Welcome to episode 15 of a Northern Counties Paranormal Podcast, hosted by Within the Boggart Wood. I'd like to start this episode with a shout out to a new Patreon subscriber, Mr. John Morley. Many thanks, John. Your support means a lot. Now, it's been a couple of weeks since the last episode, and in that time, I've been on an overnight paranormal investigation at Jedburgh Jail in the Scottish Borders, and have also attended a Tell Me Your Story event at the Land of Oak and Iron in Tynan Weir. So this episode will be a little longer than previous as I'll be combining elements from both. So getting straight into the episode, last time I looked at the history and ghost lore surrounding Jedburgh Castle Jail Museum, allegedly one of the Scottish border's most haunted sites. I've been on a number of investigations at the jail over the last decade as a guest of Dead Zone Paranormal Adventures, and while it's never been an in-your-face location when it comes to spooky happenings, there have been a number of instances where I've been left with a question or two. Interestingly, the investigation on the 19th of August this year wasn't actually one of those instances, but this in itself made previous oddities all the more interesting. Speaking purely from my own experience, I've not seen any evidence of the so-called poltergeist activity in the place. I've wandered the cells and the grounds by myself and have encountered no apparitions or entities. When it comes to visual anomalies, the cell blocks contain a lot of dust and airborne debris, and on the 19th of August we found in the male cell block that an upper floor window was open, allowing a through draft which caused a spectacular display of shooting dust orbs on the camera. On a side note, I've produced a video to kickstart the Within the Boggerwood YouTube channel, and this includes the perfect demonstration of the dusty phenomenon. I'll put a link in the episode description for anyone interested. Environmentally, there have been a couple of oddities. On two occasions, camcorder battery life has dropped significantly, but that can be put down to the extreme cold we were operating at at the time, as it was winter in the dead of night. On another occasion though I was wandering at the mail block by myself, armed with a torch and camera to check on the trigger objects that had been set. About ten paces in I walked into a wall of what I can only describe as sudden cold, the sort that makes the hair in your body suddenly stand on end, and in perfect Hollywood fashion my torch flickered and literally died on the spot. Now the mail prisoner block has no lighting, so I couldn't navigate safely up the stairs without a torch, so I turned around, walked back out of the block to go and get new batteries, and my torch instantly came back on as soon as I'd left. So I turned back around again, went back in, and all was good. The cold had gone, and my torch lasted the night. On another occasion, data loggers had been set around a trigger object at the upper floor debtors block. The loggers note temperature and humidity every 10 seconds, and then plotted out as a graph at the end of the experiment, also incidentally logging the dew point in an area. One of the interesting factors of looking at the plotted data is you can see when people enter and leave a room, with the temperature and humidity shifting accordingly. So looking at the data, I found there appeared to be someone in the cell for around 45 minutes when the team members themselves were recorded as being elsewhere. My naturally cynical mind in this case though noted that the anomalous readings were between 11.15pm and midnight, suggesting more to me that someone from the team was in the cell but hadn't recorded their location at the time. I'll put the graph on the episode page on the website so you can see for yourself. For me though, the main element of interest is the subtle shifts of audio within the place. Now on August the 19th it was a windy night, 
so we had the flagpole cable cracking sounds through most of the investigation, as well as the rattle of windows and doors. We also had rain, but relatively warm weather. It was the first time I'd been in the jail where I didn't have to wear thermals, so it was a pleasant experience. When I've analysed the audio recordings taken on the investigation though, barring the wind-induced bangs and rattles, there's no audio that I'd raise an eyebrow at, which makes recordings taken over the last couple of years on previous investigations all the more interesting. It has been noted that a rogue flesh-and-blood cat does like to join investigators at the jail for the night, so the beastie may explain some sounds, but obviously not all. Most of the recordings have been made with a dictaphone left recording in the day room of the ground floor of the mail block, and most are very subtle. Most are taps, bangs, and the sound of what appears to be furniture being moved. One recording though, taken on the 10th of April 2022 at 1.37am, sounds initially like a whistle. When you put your headphones on and crank up the volume, it actually sounds like a cell door swinging shut, though none were found to have moved. Earlier on that investigation, at quarter to midnight, there was a short recording of what sounded like an air raid siren sounding in the distance. So it would be interesting if any listeners could let me know if Jedbra did indeed have such a thing, or if it is just an audio misinterpretation. In one instance, however, we've had what can only be classed as a verbalisation. It seems to be a female voice, but most can't agree on what it says. I would tell you what I think it says, but that would just cause most folk to hear what I've said through audio suggestion. I'll put the file on the episode page on the website for you to listen and make your own mind up, but I'll also play it back here. In theory, I'll be back at the jail this October, so I'll see what recordings I can take. If anyone listening has any suggestions as to experiments that can be undertaken, please get in touch. Welcome back to episode 15 of the Northern Counties Paranormal Podcast. Today I'm recording live at the land of Okanine Heritage Centre in Winlayton Mill, Tyne and Weir, so if the audio is a little all over the place, apologies in advance. The land of Okanine Heritage Centre lies within Derwent Hoff Park, part of the Derwent Walk Country Park and occupies a parcel of land, part of which originally held the Derwent Hoff Coke Works. The 12 mile long Derwent Walk itself runs from Swarwell and Tyne and Weir to Consett and County Durham and follows the line of the old Derwent Valley Railway, a passenger and iron ore freight line which closed in 1963. The line had originally opened in 1867 as the Lanchester Railway Extension and ran over four different viaducts including the Nine Arches Viaduct which moved the railway past the Gibside Estates rather than through them. The goal of the Heritage Centre is to promote the local heritage, woodlands and wildlife of the area, as well as provide a community hub. I'll post a link to the Heritage Centre in the episode description should any of you lovely listeners wish to visit. 
So the Derwenthof Coke Works were originally built in 1828 on part of Crowley's Ironworks site, which in its heyday had been the biggest ironworks in Europe. The Coke Works operated until the 1980s, and the site was demolished late in that decade. And while I've not been able to find any folklore or ghost stories about the Coke Works, there are a few interesting tales about the Derwentwalk itself. Local folklore tells of a witch's coven meeting beneath the Nine Arches Viaduct, though the stories themselves draw in the 17th century witch trials and law, 200 years before the viaduct was even built, demonstrating ably how myth and legend develop over time. The Nine Arches Viaduct has also been subject to a few ghost sightings, with shadow figures being reported at twilight on the route across the top of the viaduct. I did witness something similar myself back in what must have been 1994, when I was returning to Wickham after a long Sunday hike, I approached the viaduct at twilight. What I saw appeared to be multiple people moving around the viaduct who simply vanished when I approached. My rational head says it was likely twilight shadow play mixed with exhaustion after a 10 mile hike, but over the years I've heard of other folk experiencing exactly the same. On another occasion I was returning from another hike, but this time the sun was well down and there was a low fog sitting across everything. All of a sudden, I got the shock of my life as a cyclist whizzed past from behind. What startled me at the time was a complete lack of noise, possibly just dampened by the fog. Also, the figure appeared dressed like an early 20th century miner. Further along the Durant Walk, near its opening at Rowlands Gill, there's a spot where dogs growl and snarl, or jump in fright at something in the trees, and dog walkers have reported hearing disembodied voices and the sounds of kids playing. At the junction of the walk with Clockburn Lonnon, the apparition of a cavalier has also been reported. The Lonnon itself was one of the routes allegedly used by Oliver Cromwell to move his army towards Newcastle during the English Civil War. The remains of Hollandside Manor lie on the south side of the Doan Walk, in between Wickham and Windleighton Mill. The ruins were once my stomping ground as a kid out exploring with friends, and I even used the ruins for a photography project back in the depths of time when I was at university. The ruin is assumed to have been built originally in the 13th century, with studies of the structure suggesting living quarters on the upper floors and potentially storage and housing for livestock below. The building originally belonged to the Holland sides, but passed through a number of families including the Redyuffs and the Hardings, eventually residing in the Bowes estate. As a kid I heard the story of the room being haunted by a grey lady, though I wonder if this story was a bit of a mix-up with nearby Gippside. Looking at historical records and local folklore, there's no mention of ghosts in the room, though the group Paranormal Newcastle did do a live paranormal investigation at the site a couple of years ago, though I think they hit the problem of differentiating environmental factors from recordable anomalies. Instead, the folklore states that the manor was once home to giants, with echoes of the story of Cor, Ben and Con told back in episode 9. The giant's castle, as it's known locally, was said to have been built by a giant, using stone from the giant's quarry located nearby in Gibside Wood. The giant who lived there was said to have terrorised the neighbourhood, raiding nearby farms and settlements for cattle and sheep, which he stored in the basement of the manor until the time came to make them his dinner. He was also said to have constructed a hidden tunnel down to the River Derwent, where he stored all of his most precious treasures away from prying eyes. Sadly, no trace of a tunnel has been found as yet during archaeological investigations of the place. Strangely though, unlike the story of Cor, Ben and Con, there are no stories recounting the giant's demise. However, he was said to be buried in the giant's grave, a long raised mound of earth located between Felside Park and Wickham and the Durant Walk. This in itself shows the evolution of local folklore, a 
as the mound in question is actually the remains of a raised wagonway that served the 18th century Bagnall Quarry. Allegedly the source of the giant story may date to the Harding family, who apparently had a number of family members of great stature, described as having the height of nearly 7 feet tall. I do wonder if the tale began as a jibe which then took on a life of its own. The story of the Burning Man of Ebchester, a somewhat gruesome tale and chronicled by the founder of Methodism, the Reverend John Wesley, began in 1757 when Mr Robert Johnson's last will and testament was drawn up. Johnson became estranged from his son Cuthbert, who married a local girl against the express wishes of his father. It was said that Johnson Sr. exclaimed, upon hearing the news of his son's marriage, that he wished his right arm burned off if ever he gave his son even a sixpence. However, in March 1757, Johnson fell ill and knew that his days were numbered. He had his will drawn up and left all of his estates to Cuthbert. That evening he died, and as was tradition, his body was laid out in the parlour for people to pay their respects. On Thursday 10th of March, his widow noted that his body was warm to the touch. The family and their visitors retired to the adjacent room for food and drink, and then the most peculiar smell started to drift through the house. The room in which they were eating and the kitchen were duly searched but no source of the smell could be found and then smoke was spotted coming from the parlour. Rushing in they found the room full of acrid smoke which was billowing from the body. The sheet covering the corpse was pulled back revealing Johnson's body so badly burnt that apparently his ribs and entrails were visible. Steam was billowing from his head and his right arm had nearly burnt off entirely. Those present began to throw water on the body which hissed and steamed off yet it was noted that the sheet that had covered Johnson hadn't been touched by the heat before it had been pulled off. The planks below him though had burned so hot they had turned to charcoal. Once the remains had cooled, the decision was quickly made to put what was left in the coffin, which was duly nailed up and a watch was set on it. However, the sound of crackling and fire was soon heard from within the coffin and the family decided to make haste in taking it to the churchyard. Local legend goes that even as the coffin was buried near the steeple, the church shook and as people backed away from the church, part of the steeple crumbled and fell on the precise spot where those attending the burial had been standing. Sadly, burial records at Ebchester were missing for 1757, but it would be interesting to see if these incidents had been recorded. Good day, I'm Andrew Ross. I uh, run the Walkmouth Ghosts at Durham. I am the Ghost Whisperer. I've come today to the Heritage Centre to meet Tony. I, I saw that he was doing a meet-up and I thought I'd come here to say hello because he's sure within the Bogart Wood it, it's an excellent show and I, I thought I would just come along, pop along and say hello. No, definitely not. No, no checks in the post. <laughs> um, a little bit about myself. Uh, the paranormal history and stuff like I've always had an interest in the paranormal. Did my very first investigation when I was about 10 year old. At the time um, the Alan Godfrey, Sigmund Dansky events were happening in Todmonton. I'd read it in the, the paper and I thought I'd go and do an investigation see if I could see or catch any UFO alien footage. Asked my cousin to come along. My cousin was a bit of a pain in the backside so he was going I was taking him along for a totally motive. He was going to be bait. I was going to send him out. Hoping the aliens would come take him away. And I would get video footage, yeah, camera footage, film of these aliens to prove that the aliens existed. Uh, through the years, I 
like the books, uh, Frontier Times, UFO magazines, I always love hearing stories, ghost stories, uh, myths, legends, anything. Whether they're true, whether they're not, I just love the stories. It's something what's happened to somebody. It, to them, it is true. It has happened to them. It, it's just an interesting story. And also, a lot of stories are about our history. There's a lot of history what is forgetting, forgotten. But within these stories, there is some of the past history. Um, I've been a member of a group called Twilight Worlds. I've been a member of them for 20... 22 years now, an excellent group. Um, we're only a small group. We do we do sort of small investigations and that. Through through that time, I've had the pleasure of being and the privilege of being the, the chairman. And with them, I've built up my courage to come out and start doing ghost walks, which I do around Durham City. Um, I've always I'm always telling people ghost stories, and I used to take the, well, I still do take the group around. Yeah, different areas, tell them stories about around the area, what we were looking at. And eventually I thought, I would like to share it with other people. So I set up Walking with the Ghosts of Durham. I've been going, doing Walking with the Ghosts of Durham for about a year now. Um, this is my second season coming up to Halloween, second Halloween season coming up. And it's built my confidence up. When I first started, I was a very, very nervous person. I was, um, uh, but through time, I've get, get the comments to start talking, uh, meet people. Before I start this, to meet a crowd of people, that was nowhere. I would just back away from it. But now, I I don't mind it. I, I love sharing the stories. I find it hard enough with just a microphone to talk to. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Um, the, the walks would take you around Durham. Durham is my, uh, although it's not my hometown, it is a place I've grown up in. Um, I spent many a year there. I love the place. When you're walking around, the views of the cathedral, the, the views of the castle, constant changing. It's a, it is a beautiful place. Along the riverside, it is gorgeous. The city itself, I have to say at the moment, the city is sort of a bit run down. It's disheartening to see it, but there is still real nice places to have a look around. And as we're walking around, there is his, bits of history, history what you don't know, yeah, or what bits of history what you should know, but you, people just don't don't think about it. Sites when you're walking around. Um, on the walk, I've taken many people around who've walked the same places I've walked all the time, and I'm pointing things out, and they're flabbergasted because they've walked that route for years and never seen them. Um, also, share ghost stories, um, strange tales, what which is supposed to have happened around the area as we're walking around. Um, I start a crook hall. That is a little gemstone in the middle of the city. A lot of people don't know it's there. National Trust, yeah, yeah, it was taken over in uh, 2021, yeah. the National Trust. Well worth going to have a look around. Um, three, it's, uh, three different types of build. It is uh, a, manor, a manor house, a manor hall, which is still 
class is residential and it's the only residential manor hall which is in County Durham and I'm to think the North East England as well which is still residential. I start there because I, I love the place. There's uh, a few ghost stories about the place, a few funny tales. The lady on the stairs. The lady, lady on the stairs, yep. 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 And the, uh, the great lady who chases the, the pitmen, who scare the pitmen and they have to have the Mars to look after them. Yeah. Yep. It, I seem to remember there's like a, a cubby hole in it that's supposed to be, what was it a soldier that's supposed the, to be there? There's supposed to be a soldier or a knight. Um, yeah. he, he was supposed to be locked in um, in the cubby hole and his body was supposed to be being found 200 years later when they took the to him. Uh, but, but people when they walk in into the, the hall, they sometimes see a figure standing and they think there's a reenactment on one of the staffer dressed up. But he's crouching over the Zozi in pain. And they walk over to him and he just disappears. So, yeah. Um, then, like I say, from there we walk around the river side and it gives you real good views of the of the city and that. Um, as we walk around, I do share the stories. Uh, one story, uh, St. Cuthbert's Mist. Or uh, St. Cuthbert's Miracle, back in 1942, uh, when the Luftwaffe were bombing Britain. They went for the, a lot of the cathedrals and they came to bomb Durham Cathedral. As the area is side and sounding, a mist raises covered the, key, the cathedral, the castle, the viaduct covers a two-mile two radius of Durham. The bombers fly around, they, they can't find the target, so they have to drop the bombers outside of Durham. Flamagate, Moore, yeah, Giles Gate, they get hit. Apparently, Fink Labby was mistaken for uh, the cathedral, bombs were dropped there, but there wasn't much damage done, luckily. Flew away, and then once the sirens sounded, the mist was supposed to disperse and clear. Uh, it's called uh, St Cuthbert's Miracle, St Cuthbert's Mist. Uh, advisory I would say is Durham is surrounded by three sides by a river. And warm days, followed by cold nights, you do get mist. Yeah. But for that mist to rise, exactly as the area sirens sounding, and to drop as it's... Sounding again, it's interesting. It's been, it is, it is, yeah. I, I know on the walk, I've had a few, when I tell that story, I've had a few people who, uh, some of them, the grandparents were, some of the wardens who saw, supposedly saw the mist rising. And also, I was told that they still taught the story at school, which is a good thing to pass on these, uh, these stories. Story tradition is disappearing. It's, it, it, it is. It's, it's nice to see it being regenerated. <laughs> it, yeah. In various places. It is. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Um, I just carry along along the river, giving good views of the cathedral. Up in the cathedral area itself, there, I mean, there when I'm on the walk, the story is what there is there. Really, I could do, uh, do a walk all of its own around Durham Cathedral and the castle because there is a lot of old stories, old tales, and it can take up to an hour sort of tell, telling all the tales and that what's what are there. And I'm always, always picking more tales up and hearing more stuff. Well, I mean, the people who come along on the ghost walks, do they tell you their stories as well? They, they do. They, um, they do. They share, share their stories. Um, everything and everything... Um, Ghost stories, ghost stories, big big cat sightings, even uh, the Bigfoot type stories. Yeah. 
um, they share them all, and some of them, some of them don't like us to share share stories, but others don't mind the the tell us. And in fact, some of them I've incorporated them into the tour because it is people who work in shops and buildings in and around Durham who have had strange experiences, and so I can see what's happening. And some of these stories are yeah, so still happening. There's restaurants and that where people still seeing a young girl, a Victorian girl running around and that's been going for years and and I see last year when I started the walks uh, in October, November time there was a girl, she used to work in that restaurant she'd left six months ago but she, she'd never seen anything but her friends who worked there had seen this young Victorian girl running around, around the restaurant yeah. Is it something that, like Twilight Worlds looking to or, or not? Uh, no, we we used to do sort of investigations where we go to businesses or people's houses and that, but we realised the sort of ethics and that of doing that. We stepped away from it. It's it's yeah. it's a minefield area, so yeah, it, it, we just stepped away from that. We do like uh, investigation like. If there's a road incident on road, go sighting on a road, we'll go there. Or if the, there's the, like Crook Hall, we'll pop in there, just have a walk around. Yep. We, in the group, we do have people who are sensitive. Personally, I'm not sensitive. I'm uh, not not psychic, anything like that. I just go, I, in the group, I'm classed as a, a skeptic. I'm, I'm not a skeptic. I'm, I'm, I think I'm on the borderline because with skeptics, I'm a total believer, and with people who are total believers, I'm a skeptic. Yeah. So but a skeptic is just somebody who questions. Yeah, so yeah, that, that's the bottom line. yeah. It, the, the term's just been misused. Yeah, it's just generally. like I say. I mean, with the the skeptics, I yeah, I would see a yeah, thingy, and so I say we well, have to look at this bit, and the the skeptics think I'm a total believer, which I <laughs> so I think I'm per perfect in the middle because. Yeah. Um, so it means you get the flash from both sides. I do. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I mean, in this, like when we are investigating stuff, even if you go in and find that, once, which the uh, such case, uh, it's a fun story. <laughs> it's funny, right? There's a story which I share on the the tour. It's about the uh, Shincliffe Lane ghost. Now, back in the 1920s, for about a month, there was a sighting of a ghost which, at Shincliffe, just outside of Durham, this ghost would shoot from one side of the road to the other. And the people, people in cars, there wasn't many cars about at the time, but as they were driving down, they would see this figure cross, they hear the chains rattling and they hear a screaming or whistling sound. Some, some, of, them would, some of them would crash the cars. Anybody on bicycles? They would see it as well. They would sometimes fall off the bicycles, yeah. or people who were walking. They'd wa ra rather walk two miles around than going down that lane. Yeah. Eventually, the police went. A bit like the day when you sort of report a crime, the police take a year forever to come out. They eventually, did come out, and there was a police officer. He was riding up the lane when this figure shot in front of him. Yeah. Shot out in front of him, gave him a shock. He fell off his bike. And he decided, well, look, I'm a police officer. I've been sent down to investigate this. I have to do some investigation. So he got up. As he got up, he could hear a bit mumbling, a bit, so, so some yeah, people were laughing. 
start to look. He saw on the far side of the road, he saw this, the sheep, this ghost, what it shot past. So he went up there to investigate. He heard people running away. He got there, he found that children had tied a length of rope from one side of the road to the other, putting a duffel coat on, then covered the duffel coat with a white sheet, hung chains in it, and they tied a tin can with their holes in, so when they pulled it, it was sort of did them whistling and screaming. So, yeah. And eventually the the perpetrators were found. There was four young lads found, and they they did get wrong for doing that. Now, if that police officer didn't find that, and the, the young lads came cut that the string down the rope down forever, there would be the story yes. of that ghost going across yeah. the road. But it, it's a real funny story. I, I look, like a good laugh and I like a good joke, yeah. and that's sort of paranormal ghostly, but it's a, a joke as well. Yeah. And it, it is real funny and. Uh, I know my uncle, my uncle did something similar. There's Nate Russ. This is the line which takes you from Burnhope right way through to, uh, up the top of uh, Quakey Houses. And people use it, it's uh, a footpath now. And when it was a railway track, it was the, for the trucks from Burnhope Pit, which would go to yeah, Quaking Houses, and then the call from there would be go. Uh, but people used to still use the line. My dad says uh, when the trucks would come down, they would jump on the trucks, get right up to the top to save walking up. And on a night time, when they're going to, if they're going to Durham, yeah, sorry, to Stanley for a drink, they would walk up that line because it was a yeah, quick, quick route to, yeah, to the pub and a quick route back. But my uncle, him and his friend would come yeah, back one night. And there's a story of a grey lady what's supposed to haunt that track. They're walking down, they could see grey figure or white figure further down the road yeah. so walking on the, oh, that's the that's the grey lady that's the, coming for us and eventually got further and further eventually me uncle's friend he got that scared he said look I'm going the other way and my uncle says wait look if it's a ghost it's not going to do any, any, any harm to us it's, so he carried on walking he says eventually walking down this figures come closer and closer to him picks up a stick he says because he's starting to get a bit frightened got down to it. He realised all it was was an old bedsheet what was stuck in the trees. <laughs> uh, so what he, he said with him being a bit uh, worse for wear, it looked like the figure was coming towards him yeah. as he's walking. So anyway, he, he thought he'd play a prank on his friend, so he took the sheet off, got a big stick, put the sheet on the stick and went to the bottom of the track and waited for his friend coming along. And <laughs> He had a fair way because his friend had a long way around to get back. So he's waiting. Eventually, saw him near the churchyard. He could see him because the way he was positioned was there's a dip, and he could see his friend coming along. So he waited and waited, and then as his friend got close enough, he stuck the sheet out and started going. Ooh. He, his friend ran, and me uncle stood there laughing and that. Started calling, oh, Tommy, come on, man! His friend was just off and away. Anyway. Eventually, my uncle was waiting, 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 so he decided to go home. Went home, and the next day he went down to see his friend. His mum says he hasn't turned in all night. He hasn't been in all night. So my uncle didn't see anything, and he's thinking, oh, Christ, I hope he hasn't done anything silly. With So he says he went to have a look for him. It went, and there used to be a pub further up the road in Burnham called the Board Inn. He went to there, and in the porch, his friend was 
sleeping in the porch. Right. Uh, and he, he woke me, so what are you doing? He says, oh, he says, I was coming down. He says, that grey lady came, came out as, and he says, my uncle didn't dare tell him. <laughs> uh, uh, so, yeah, but like I say, it's, they're just sort of, really, I just love them types of stories. It's just, um, if you go onto Facebook and look for Walking with the Ghosts of Durham, you'll be able to book there. Or if you look for Facebook as well, for Andrew Ross, messages there. Uh, on Facebook, I'm always putting the, the walk dates and information about walks on. There's a few groups I every so often post links to. Um, the next, um, the season is starting again, it's September the 16th. That walk is almost full. I, I think that I was looking at the day and I think I've got four, four places left for that walk. The next one after that is the 19th and then the 21st of September. And once we get to October, again, I've got the calendar up on my web, website, yeah, my Facebook page. And there is going to be more dates in October with the Halloween. Uh, so just look on there for walking with the ghosts of Durham and find us there. We'll finish this episode with a short folktale presented by William Brocky in 1886, entitled Cows Milked by Hedgehogs. Brockett says, ignorant persons who attend to the keeping of cattle still believe in that very ancient prejudice of the hedgehogs drawing milk from the udders of resting cows during the night, thus disappointing the milkmaid of the expected repletion of her morning pail. The smallness of its mouth, he adds, renders such an accusation thoroughly absurd, but to reason with such people is like talking of the blessing of light to those who have had the misfortune to be born blind. Thanks for listening to episode 15 of a Northern Counties Paranormal Podcast. As usual, more details can be found on the website at theboggartwood.uk. Until next time, stay safe.